Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined by Jesse Gibbs. How are you, Jesse? Hi, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Where are you calling from today? Seattle, Washington. Mm, the Seattle Freeze. I heard about that in a previous podcast. <laughs> you know what that is? Oh, yes. Okay, cool. So it really is a, a bigger thing than I thought. <laughs> Doesn't sound pleasant, but if you live in the right place, I'm sure it's wonderful. That's great. And were you from that area, or were you born somewhere else? I was actually born in Rota, Spain. Wow. Um, my mother was in the military. Cool. And I was her seventh pregnancy at the age of 19. Really? Mm-hmm. She had seven pregnancies at, by the age of 19. She had seven pregnancies by the age of 19. She had six abortions before I came along, and I was going to be her seventh. And um, she uh, realized that she could get out of the military if she uh-huh. had a baby. Oh, and so she had a baby and was going to give me up for adoption. And then she found out that she couldn't get out of the military if she didn't keep the baby. Uh-huh. So three weeks before I was born, she told the adoptive parents, I'm sorry, I'm keeping my baby. And then proceeded to spend the next three months trying to kill me. So she tried oh, to um, she tried this to is different. Hold yeah. on a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. I've asked about people's childhood now for a whole year, Jesse, and I've never heard anything like this. What are you talking about? Yeah, she tried to starve me to death. I have. Um, so when I uh, when I started writing my book, um, my grandmother started sending me boxes. She sent me about forty five boxes of 
court documents, doctor's notes, FBI files, um, uh, just a, a myriad letters from my mother, her journals, uh, all of these things so that I could have real research and real paperwork to sort of prove out what it was that I had experienced as a child. And I actually have the letter from the doctor that says that if Jesse doesn't start gaining weight, we're taking her from you. Oh, wow. And that's way before the days of CPS and all that, right? Uh-huh. And, of course, this was in another country as well. So oh, right, right, right. They had different rules and regulations as far as that goes. But, um, yeah, um, there's actually letters from my mother where she talks about um, how uh, calling me all sorts of horrible names as a newborn baby and saying how it was incredibly demanding and bossy of me to want to be fed on a schedule. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, was it too much to ask to breastfeed too? Um, yeah, I think that was out. I'm pretty sure wow. that was out. She yeah. would um, she would feed me, from what I understand, she would feed me sugar water instead of formula because formula took too long to make. Oh, my God. And then, of Hold course, when she, did feed, when she did feed me formula, I actually have um, oh, a really high iron in my blood. Um, so I can't like take regular supplements because the iron in the, in the supplements make me sick. And back in the day, formula had a lot of iron in it. So I was a really colicky baby on top of that. Oh, Jesse, you're making, honestly, I just lit a cigarette. Um, <laughs> it's like you're making me, I might cry on, on this episode. Um, honest to goodness though, um, I don't want to get too caught up in it just yet, but what was the problem like? What was your mom's deal, man? Like, how so, is that possible? Mom is a charismatic narcissist. Oh. And so she has her own, like, trauma and mental issues um, that come into this. And one of the things that was a real challenge in the book is I, I wrote my book in third person. And I start with my mother's story, writing it from her perspective. And so I took all the letters and the notes and the journals that my grandmother had and I poured them into creating a persona and trying to understand who my mother was. And I've done a lot of research on narcissism and uh, the psychology of narcissists. And oh my God, mama's classic. She is just like, if you're looking for the perfect narcissist, that's my mother. That's amazing. Um, I think we're going to break tradition today. I'm, I'm not going to stick to the format. Um, let's just get into the mix and I'll ask questions about things from the past to try to fill in gaps. But normally I like to go sequentially. But in this case, I think we're going to just jump right into the meat of the story because it sounds like we actually have something in common. And in my personal belief and personal experiences, I found my own mother and my two brothers to be narcissistic and I had no idea and uh, didn't even know what it meant really and you know uh, the strange part was is they were accusing me of all kinds of things that I wasn't really doing and when I was old enough to figure it out I found out some of the things that they were accusing me of wasn't at all what I was doing it's what they were doing mm-hmm. <laughs> like projection they you know? always tell on themselves yep Weird, man. But I, I do know what that experience is like, I think, but not to that degree. Um, where was your father at this time? Um, so I've I've never found my bio dad. I, I've never actually met my biological father. He, as far as I understand, didn't know that mama had decided that mama had gotten pregnant and had decided to keep the baby. That's just what I understand. I'm not positive the information as far as that goes. Um, when I was 
five, so um, Mama moved back to uh, Washington, moved in with her parents. There's a tiny little uh, island just off of Seattle called Vashon Island, and mm-hmm. she moved on to Vashon Island with her parents and lived there for about a year, um, decided she was going to get married, left to, left me, and went to Canada to get married, um, got pregnant, had uh, another abortion, um, came back and said, hey, I need to fix my, my marriage. I need you to keep watching the baby. And my grandmother said, no, you have to give me full custody. I'm, I'm not doing this back and forth with you because anytime. So basically, grandma was raising me at this point, And anytime she would say, hey, you need to step up and take care of your kid. My mother would um, take me with her to her parties and just leave me on the floor or with whoever happened to decide to pick me up at that particular time. Um, so grandma was like, to protect my granddaughter, I need to make sure that I have full custody. So, of course, mama was happy to sign that paperwork and, and pass me off to her mom. How old are you today? I'm 45. Okay, I'm 51. I just want to get the era that we're talking about. Um, wow. So we're talking like in the 70s, right? Like Late, late 70s, 70s, early 80s. Yep. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, I am so sorry. I know, I know it's just not going to change anything, but like, God, that really, uh, that really hits me hard, man. I can't believe a mother would do that, especially at such an early age. So what happened? Like, how was your, your childhood different than everyone else's? So I lived with my grandparents until I was five. I was in, um, a, a bunch of special classes. I had like an extremely high IQ. They were watching me for autism. Um, and this was, grandma was very ahead of her time as far as that went. Like she understood, um, autism and ADHD and bipolar disorder and all sorts of other things. Like she really understood what it, what it took to take care of a high needs child. And when I was five, mama had, um, quote unquote, gotten her life together. And so she had married a man, um, Robert and, uh, had two babies. She had two boys and, um, was uh, in a cult. She had joined a, a cult, the yep. shepherding community. And so she contacted her mother and said, hey, I want my daughter back. And grandma said, no, you crazy. No, we're not. She I'm had not custody, that. right? Grandma had full custody of me. She was okay. like, absolutely not. So mama contacted her father and said, daddy, I want my daughter back. Well, at that point in time, grandpa Understand, I love my grandfather. He's a genuinely good man, but he did not want to be raising a high-needs child during his retirement. Um, He's a Navy man. Like, he was ready to retire and start his life with his wife. And so he said, you know, maybe we'll give it a shot. So he sent me, um, Grandma took me to North Carolina. We got on a plane and flew to North Carolina where Mama was living at the time. And um, I met her husband and my two little brothers, and I went to live with them. And the deal was that I was going to go there for three months as a test run, just sort of see how things were going, if everything was worked out, if this was going to be a good fit. Um, I immediately fell into the position of taking care of my siblings, taking care of Mama, um, because she uh, was pregnant again at that point. And... um, it was just just became my job. It was my job to do the dishes. It was, I was five. It was my job to take care of the, the pets, take care of the dogs, take care of the cats. It was my job to do whatever needed to be done in the house. I sort of became the mini mom. 
And um, at that point in time, Robert decided that... Who's Robert? Robert's her husband. Okay. Robert started treating me like his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. In, in every manner you can imagine. Like mama A young would, child? Mm-hmm. Mama what? would literally bring... We, they would go into the boys' room and they would sing Christian songs. And then they would pray with them. And then they would come into my room and they would pray with me. And then Mama would go back to her room and Robert would stay with me. Oh, no. Mama shut off the phone and started sending Grandma's letters back to her, ripped to shreds. So I wasn't getting any letters from my aunties. I wasn't getting any letters from my grandma. Um, I had I was basically cut off. And at that point, there was some drama going on with my grandparents. And I ended up being stuck there for 18 months. So it finally got to the point where grandma sent mama a letter and said, I'm coming to get my granddaughter. Like, this is ridiculous. You're not answering my calls. You're not like, you're telling me that you've moved. Like what, what is going on? I'm coming down there. I have legal rights to this child and you are out of line. So she showed up. Um, mama at that point had trained me that if anybody asked about Papa, that I was, to lie to cover his ass. If what? you say anything about what's been going on, oh. Papa will go to jail and it will be your fault for breaking up the family. Wow. So grandma shows up. Mama wouldn't let us be alone together. And then um, grandma finally took me out to lunch. She was like, "It's I have legal rights to this child. I'm taking her out without you. I, I don't need you around. I need to have a conversation with my granddaughter. So she took me out to lunch and she's like, something is going on. What is happening? And I just spilled. I just told her everything. Good. And she was like, um, yeah. And so we made a plan to escape because oh. there was no way that my mother was going to let me leave. Yeah. Um, Mama's five foot ten. She's a big girl. Um, Michael is six foot two and a Marine and also violent. My grandmother is five foot nothing and 120 pounds dripping wet. And these two people were dangerous. And so we made a plan. I was going to a private Christian school at that point. My grandmother had basically, mama was like, no, Jesse doesn't need to go to school. And my grandmother was like, she's going to school. I will be paying for her to go to a private school because this little girl is too smart to just be dumped off somewhere with no education. So yeah. I was going to the private school. Grandma was paying for it. She had legal rights to me. So she said, hey, I will drop Jesse off at school and then I will go to the airport. So we go to the school. We met with the principal. We met with my teacher, explained the situation and said, you know, don't call them. Do not tell them that Jesse didn't come to school today. And we got on a plane together and we flew back to Washington State. Oh, wow. I was in Washington for about nine months. And my mother met a woman with, um, she was, mama was part of a group called WIVA, which stands for Women Exploited by Abortion. They were violently pro, pro-life. Um, and uh, she was the North Carolina director of WIVA and she Jeez. met the national director of WIVA and they became best friends. So the two of them flew out to Washington, tracked me for three days, followed my bus to and from school. Watched all of the goings on in the neighborhood where my grandmother lived. Uh, every day after dinner, Grandma and Grandpa, uh, they, they lived in a trailer park. And Imagine grandma, that. Grandma and Grandpa would walk 
too. It was like a retirement trailer park. Oh wait, and wait. It, I'm sorry. The grandparents lived in trailer park. Yeah, the grandparents oh, no, lived no, no. in like it was a it was a a retirement trailer park. I am so sorry. Yeah, I meant I was thinking the other person. I was like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> no, actually, okay. funny enough, um, we. Uh, I'll get to that. So, yeah. no worries. No <laughs> so worries. Um, my grandma and grandpa would always take a walk down to, down to the end of the lane to get their mail because all of the mail was in one place at this, instead of individual mailboxes. They could see the trailer from where they were walking, um, and it was basically just a way for them to like have a breather, get away from a seven-year-old who was high needs. And so I was listening to, um, it was Christmas time. It was December 7th. And I was listening to Bing Crosby's Christmas album. I had my big headphones on so that Grandpa could watch uh, the football game. And I was, they had taken their walk. There was a knock on the door. I opened the door. I was all dressed up in my dress-up clothes, bare feet. And there was a knock on the door, and I opened it, and there was a stranger there. And the lady said, hey, you need to come with me. Your mommy's in the car. And I looked at her, and I said, I'm sorry I don't go with strangers. And she goes, you're a very good girl. And I shut the door and I was like, okay, this is weird. This, I need to, mm, I'm not okay with this. So I walked over to the telephone to call one of the aunties because they lived like two blocks away. And so as I was walking to the telephone, the door got broken open, like shoved open with my mother's foot. She slammed the door open, stomped in, grabbed me by the arm, kicking and screaming, dragged me down the stairs across the gravel driveway and threw me in the back seat of the car. And they drove off. They peeled rubber and drove off. By the time my grandparents got back from the walk, the cops were there. They drove across state lines, went down to Portland um, with my babyest brother, who was nine months old at the time, in the car seat next to me. And of course, he's freaking out because I'm freaking out. Um, and uh, of course, my mother's screaming at me like, you know, you're upsetting your little brother. You need to get your shit together. This isn't okay. And I'm like having a panic attack in the back seat. And uh, they crossed state lines, which is when the FBI got involved. And mama pulled over to a payphone. And she's like, okay, I'm going to let you talk to your grandmother, but you can't cry. If you cry, I'm taking the phone away from you. And so she calls my grandmother and I heard my grandmother pick up the phone and mama said, this is Dolores. And my grandmother started screaming. And my grandmother is the most stoic woman you've ever met. She never loses her cool. And she lost her cool on my mom. And was like, you bring her back here this minute. And she's like, well, do you want to talk to her? Grandma said, yes. And so she handed the phone to me and I immediately burst into tears. So she grabbed me by the shoulder and shoved me onto the ground outside of the payphone and shut the door to yell at her mom. Um, Mary Sue, the national director of Weba, picked me up off the ground, put me in the back seat of the car, and I fell immediately asleep because my brain just completely shut down. So we get to a friend of theirs house and we're all cuddled like she had set up blankets and pillows on the floor for me. And mama was sleeping on the couch. Lori Joe was sleeping in the bedroom. And the baby had finally fallen asleep. And mama said, why did you go with her? Like, why would you, why would you betray me in this way? And I told her, what Robert is doing to me is wrong. I was seven. What Robert is doing to me is wrong. And there was 
dead silence. And my mom goes, tell me you didn't tell your grandmother that. That's the only time we ever talked about it. That was the last conversation we had about it. So we get back to North Carolina. We flew back to North Carolina. Um, there were two FBI agents on the plane. Mama was dressed in a wig and glasses with the baby. And I flew home dressed as... The baby. Uh, uh, yeah, Mama's youngest son at the time. Um, I flew home dressed as a little boy with Mary Sue. And we flew home. Why? Because they didn't want anyone to find me. She didn't have legal rights to me. Oh, but you said the FBI was on the plane. They lost us in the Atlanta airport. Holy shit. Yep. They were going to pick her up when they got off the plane. They were going to pick me up. They knew where I was. From what I understand, they knew where I was. They were watching me. But because Mama was dressed differently and was wearing a wig and glasses, they didn't recognize her. And so they wanted to catch Mama. And so we got off the airport, off the airplane in Atlanta, and everybody, like, we met in the bathroom, everybody changed clothes, and then we took off in different directions, and that's when the FBI lost us. Oh, dude, your mom sounds like an organized criminal, is she? Um, <laughs> no, she's a very disorganized criminal. Oh. So we got back to uh, our house in North Carolina. Um, it took about 24 hours before the police showed up. Papa put me in my coat, dropped me out the back window to a neighbor who ran across the street, and um, I hid in a closet for two hours, and then I was in hiding for two years. I went, wait, 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 wait. Your dad had helped you? My stepdad. Your stepdad, he helped you. He set you free. No, he gave me to a neighbor so the police couldn't find me. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So I was in hiding for two years. With the I, neighbor? With different neighbors, different people, um, people I didn't know. I would basically just be dropped off at random people's houses, different churchgoers who are a part of the cult that she was involved in. Holy Jesus, really? Mm -hmm. Wow, I don't know how people could justify that. I mean, did nobody ask questions like, why is this child alone or nothing? Like, My mother's a charismatic narcissist. And so everyone believed that mama was rescuing me from my abusive step-parents. Or my oh abusive my grandparents. God, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're good at making stories up. There's no question they are. about it. Um, and so since she was on, since she was part of Weba, she was actually on things like the 700 Club. She's been on the 700 Club twice, both times, absolutely bad mouthing my grandparents up one side and down the other. Yeah, I know the type. Um, there is one thing I wanted to mention, just because. Um, it's kind of strange, actually. You made me think of something that I never even thought about or considered before. And although in later life, my family ended up, the remaining family, all the rest of them are dead except for my mom and two brothers. And um, I never really thought about this, but while you were talking, it occurred to me, because you said something that triggered this, um, that my mom had no idea how to take care of me either. I was a high-needs um, ADHD child, and I was very spastic and got in trouble, and the impulse control was out the window, and I had nothing but yeah. energy. And, uh, you know, she did her best. She, she did a great job. I have to hand it to her in my childhood. Like, if she was half as kind to me in my adult years as she was in my childhood, we would have made it, you know, and I'd still be talking to her today, but... It's like, uh, I wonder, because I was in a private school and we had help. And like, I remember going to, to interview schools 
um, which sounds strange. Like I was a special needs kid, but I had like literally eight different people that came along, different psychiatrists and therapists. And I don't know how she orchestrated all that, but there was like a small entourage of clinical specialists that would go with me to figure out where I should be. And then they finally found the right school. And I ended up going to that private school for most of my uh, school years until high school. But yeah, it just uh, never really occurred to me that parents don't know what to do. I mean, nobody really does until you do it. But I mean, pick up a book, ask questions, you know. And and back then, we, I mean, even just like, let's say you had really healthy family, um, like a really healthy familial unit, you're still living in a time when the the DSM-5 isn't out yet. Like they didn't know what they didn't know. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's a great point, actually. That's one of the things I like to throw at people when they are trying to think about, you know, different things outside the box. They say, well, you know, I learned this in Landmark, actually. I'm not sure where you learned that saying, but it's pretty cool to hear it from someone else for a change. Uh, I learned um, we know what we know, we know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. And exactly. That last one is a bitch, man. <laughs> There's a line from um, of all things, of all things, Men in Black, mm. where um, t- uh, Tommy Lee Jones is talking to Will Smith, and he says, "You know, uh, 500 years ago, we knew the Earth revolved, the Sun revolved around the Earth. Five, you know, 50 years ago, we knew, you know, that um, fingerprints weren't real. Five minutes ago, you knew." that you were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Wow. Right? Cool. So, yeah. I'd have to watch that movie. <laughs> I've never seen it. It's, it's terrible. It's an absolutely terrible film. I love it. Okay, cool. Perfect. Yeah, I like some of those, too. Um, so, continue with your story. This is leading somewhere, I know, but you're in hiding. You're going through all these crazy living situations, you're disconnected from your normal life. There wasn't any school or anything, right? Uh, no, mama decided as soon as I was, um, when I was, after I was kidnapped, um, she decided to homeschool me. Um, she decided to homeschool all of us, which was basically her way of making sure that, because teachers would start to recognize that there were bruises on a regular basis. Um, and so she needed to keep us small in a very small space so that nobody would call her on her shit. Um, so we went to several different churches when I was growing up. Um, when I was um, after the, the kidnapping, I actually lost my memory. I lost all of my memory except for I remembered the kidnapping. So I knew mama wasn't safe. And I remember what Robert did to me. So I knew he wasn't safe and he never touched me again after that. He did, however, treat me like his girlfriend the entire time I was growing up. I made dinner for him. I fixed his lunches for him. I So uh, I grew up in the purity culture and my long dresses, the works. Um, and my mother like, would literally said the words, someday you're going to get married. You need to practice being married with your father, <laughs> whatever that looks like. You pray for wow. him. You make sure that he's comfortable when he comes home. You make sure that his lunch is packed every day. 
Um, you hold his hand in public. You like we would actually get asked because we went we went to I started school when I was down there. I went to a community college at the same time my stepfather was starting a community at community college. I was I was seventeen, um, and so we were going to school together. We both just make sure that our classes lined up. And so we would go to school together, and everyone would ask, "Well, how long have you two been a couple?" Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was it was pretty That's messed creepy, up, man. And then creepy. when I when I left home at nineteen, so I left home at nineteen. <sighs> um, so I'm 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 the oldest of eight. So I grew up with a bunch of siblings. I actually delivered my eight little sister. Eight that made it. Eight that made it. Holy crap! Mm-hmm. Your mom was a very sexually active woman. <laughs> she was Myrtle the Fertile Turtle, let me tell you what. Seven that didn't make it and eight that did? Are you serious? Um, actually, it was uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven that didn't make it. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What? She had two abortions um, and then oh. after me, and then she had uh, four babies, three babies, and then she had uh, a miscarriage, and then three more babies, and then another miscarriage. Man, I have to say, like, if there was an award for the the heaviest story that I've ever had on my podcast, <laughs> you, you won it today, sister. <laughs> wow! And part Thank of you. it is because it you're well, you know, you're well, you're welcome. But uh, <laughs> you know, we share some things in common here as well. But I'm hearing something so much worse, and you know, I think about my struggles sometimes, and I always realize that other people struggle more, and I think. One of the weird things that we do is we forget that we need to still fill that void, uh, you know, even though it might not really make sense at the time. Um, so I'm really interested to see what you did and how you got out of this, because I mean, myself, I've been dealing with some things for a while that I'm not that are not resolved. So I'm actually really blessed by you because. Uh, you're going to tell me what happens when you get free from all this. And that's what I want to get to. Yes. Is, uh, how did you finally find your way to freedom? And what was that like, the change? And take me down that road. So it was a, it was a long time coming. So when I was 19, I was the only female DJ on four radio stations. Mama oh, really? graduated me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, thanks. Mama graduated me when I was in eighth grade because she wanted me to start working full-time, support the family. Um, so I had an eighth grade education. I was still a fairly smart little cookie, um, mm. but um, no education. And I had I, I was I would teach school in the mornings and then I would go to work with Papa. He was an electrician. We would run wire, do all of this kind of thing. Um, I helped him at the, he had, he worked in an apartment complex and so I would paint and clean apartments. Um, mama owned a, um, teeny tiny little cleaning company. And so I would go and clean houses for these very, very rich ladies. Um, and then I got it while I was in school, I started working at the radio station at the school and got a job off of that and then got another job and then got another job. So I was working for radio stations by the time I left home. And I had my own show at one point. And so I was finishing up. um, My mother had, my parents had told me that I had to put in my two weeks notice because I was getting, and I'm quoting here, too worldly. I thought that my job and my um, career was more important than being at home and milking the cow. For shit's sake, you're not Amish. (sighs) Well, basically, mama mama was losing control of me. Uh, I was starting so. to realize 
I was making friends. I was starting to realize that I had options and she couldn't handle it. And so she made me put in my two week notice, quit my radios, quit the radio stations. So I had quit two of them, which was a real bummer because there's only, there's like, there's a whole bunch of people in radio that make a little bit of money. And there's a few people in radio that make a lot of money. And I was getting ready to take over the morning show for a hundred thousand watt radio station. It was a top, um, top 40 FM Mm -hmm. station covering four states. That and I was going cool. to take over the morning show. All right. That's why and, I went to college for broadcasting, by the way. So I totally relate. Of how oh, my God. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. Yeah. I was crushed, which, of course, was the point. So I had my my show on the little radio station um, in in a small town that, I, that we lived outside of. We lived about 30 minutes outside of this teeny, tiny, small town and. Uh, the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and we were a 10-minute walk to the nearest house. Like, we lived way out in the boonies um, in a nasty, disgusting house. Mama was a hoarder. Um, there was, like, maggots growing in the refrigerator. Like, it was it was just, it was nasty the way I grew up. Um, and uh, Papa gave me a spanking uh, a week before my 19th birthday for having a bad attitude and getting in a fight with my brother. Okay. And I went, I think this might be wrong. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an adult now. I'm a grown-up. Yeah. yeah. And I'm being bent over a table and beaten by the man who's abused me. Uh, okay, this is wrong. And so I packed my clothes. I cleaned my room. I said a quiet goodbye to all of my siblings, not telling anybody that I was leaving, just lots of cuddles. And then, because, you know, I was mom, I took care of everything Mm -hmm. and I took care of them. Like I would, my mother would have a baby. The baby would go to my bed. I would get up with the baby, change their diaper, burp them, clean them up, take them to mama for nursing, take them back upstairs, burp them again, wrap them in a blanket and go back to sleep. And then I would do that again and again and again with each one of the kids. And as soon as mama had another baby, that baby would move into their own bed. And then I would take on the next baby. So I was mom. Um, so I, uh, I was at the radio station the next day after the, the beating. And I had packed my clothes. I was finishing up my show to basically saying goodbye online on, on the air. And uh, my parents came into the radio station, raided my office, figured out that I was leaving, and stomped into the middle of the broadcast and started screaming at me. So I Whoa. shut the radio down, put it on autoplay, put, set up the computer while my mother's barking at me behind me. Uh-huh. And they spent about three hours screaming at me, calling me every name in the book. It was my fault their marriage wasn't doing well. It was my fault everything was going wrong in mama's life, whatever it of was. Of course. And uh, Papa finally convinced Mama to leave. Was like, I need to talk to Jesse alone. And so Mama left, which was a huge surprise. She never listens to him, but she left. She took she took the van and she went home. It's a thirty minute drive. And Papa goes, "Are you pregnant?" No. Um, are you doing drugs? No. Are you on your period? Really? 
no, I just don't want to live with you guys anymore. This is no longer a safe place for me. I'm an adult now. I need to move out. This isn't working. And my plan was that I was going to go up to, because she was still friends with Mary Sue. Mary Sue lived in Michigan, and I was going to um, get on a bus and go up to Mary Sue's house and figure out what to do next from there. So Papa convinced me to come home. Look, just come home one one night. I'll find you someplace to stay. Just just come home. Jesse, you have to come home. All right. So we got in the truck and we drove home. By the time we got to my house, there was there was a letter on the door from my little brothers. So I have four little brothers and three little sisters. And the letter said, Sissy, please don't leave. We're sorry we've been bad. We love you. We'll clean the house. Okay. And I walked in the door, hugged each of my brothers, and they were like all in tears. Went upstairs. My baby brother, Judah, came in and sat down next to me. And I sat down on my bed, and he sat down next to me, and he put his arms around me, and he's just sobbing. And he's like, Sissy, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is awful. And he goes, Sissy, don't you love me anymore? And I'm like, Buddy, yes, I love you desperately. What, what, where is this coming from? And he's like, Mama said you didn't love me anymore, and that's why you're leaving. Oh. And then my baby sister, who I delivered, who's five, climbs up on my lap. She put her knees on my, on my lap so that she could look me in the face and held my face in her hands, and she's looking at me. She's got these big brown eyes, and she's looking at me, and she goes, Sissy, does you have demons? I'm like, excuse me? Your mama <laughs> said you had demons, and that's why you're leaving. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you got out of there, I take it, right? I did. I, I moved out and promptly joined an inner city commune in Chicago. <clears throat> what? What? Oh, yeah. No, out of the frying pan, right into the fire. Huh. Why'd you do that? The cult thing was appealing to you, was it? Uh, something like that. I... <laughs> I, I wanted to do right, and I was still enmeshed in the Christian mindset, and I really wanted to do what was right. Mm. And if this was what my life needed to look like, then I needed to get my heart right with God and come back home and do I what's see. right and take care of my mother. And if that's what I was supposed to do, I would do it. So, I, and I had been told my whole life that unless you're following God, that you're immediately going to go sleep around and do drugs and get hooked on heroin and whatever else. Um, there is no in between. There's no halfway. You're either a Christian or you're going to hell. Like, that's it. And so I moved into this inner city commune in Chicago and um, was told by these people that mama was out of line. No, honey, your your mom's nuts. This is no, you don't have to you don't have to stay there. You don't have to put up with this. This is a very unhealthy, toxic, abusive relationship that that you have with your mother. This is not okay. So I felt a sense of freedom living there. Um I uh, met the man I was going to marry there. Uh he was 12 years my senior. And I was 19, so he, I was 19, he was in his 30s, okay. and needed me, desperately needed someone to rescue him from singlehood. Mm. And because I had been trained to take care of older men, I was ready, <laughs> set, 
to be groomed into You're the perfect. perfect wife. Oh, definitely. And so I, uh, I, I married Leonard. We had a beautiful wedding. And the first couple of years were magic because I was the perfect wife. The house was always clean. The candles were always lit. I always brought him dinner. And then I outgrew him very, very quickly. So we were married for 10 years. And um, I ended up uh, leaving the community uh, at the tender age of 32. Um, and I left the community in a really bad way. Um, so I, uh, I, ended up having, <laughs> I ended up having an affair while I was there because I was incredibly miserable and in a very toxic relationship with my ex and ended up having an affair. Not that that's an excuse, not that I approve of that in any way, shape or form. This is just where my mindset was. Um, I was, I was at the point where, because divorce is unacceptable in this community, um, that my only out was, uh, to unalive myself. And so I was trying to figure out the best way to unalive myself. And this gentleman that I had known for 12 years caught on to that and quote unquote rescued me. But here I was taking care of someone once again. Um, and there's this mindset that you need to be rescued. You cannot be your own rescuer. Um, so that that played into it quite a bit as well. Um, so I the, obviously the affair came out. And big drama in the community. Everybody had an opinion. And so I left. I packed my bags and I moved out here to Seattle. Uh, my best friend lives out here. And I've known her for 25 years now. And I figure if you're going to start your life over, you got to take your best friend with you, right? Yeah. Did you and take so, her or did you go to where she was? I went to where she was. Oh, uh, okay, cool. So I, I actually had a similar experience myself, too. With a oh, yeah? Friend that was, yeah, very similar. Went from a tragic situation to a friend's house that I'd known for 20-something years. So, yeah, it, thank God for friends. Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what I would do without her. She is my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and so she basically, she walked me through recovering from having an affair. She walked me through my divorce. Um, I got a job out here. Um, I started going to school. Um, I met my now husband um, on the dance floor. I actually, um, I was, I started swing dancing at 28. My, it was my birthday and my ex-husband's friend was like, Hey, I want to take you guys out swing dancing for Jesse's birthday. And Leonard was like, and so, <laughs> so Nate, who was my, ended up being my dance partner for three years was like, yeah, I'm taking Jesse dancing for her birthday. This is stupid. And so we went swing dancing and it was magic. It was like I found where I belonged. It was just absolutely wonderful. And I was like, okay, I need to learn everything. I need to take classes. I need to learn everything there is to know about swing dancing. And so I did. And I started teaching classes with Nate and we started having swing dances at the community and live bands. And it was just, it was a blast. Um, and the whole time my ex-husband is like, if I was going to go swing dancing, I had to make sure that he had somebody to play with that night. The house was clean. He had dinner. He was taken care of. And then I was home in a reasonable hour to make sure he went to bed on time. Huh. I'm not uh, joking. It was so toxic. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, I struggle with sleep because of my trauma um, and ADHD and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so I struggled to go to sleep because bad things happened when I was in bed when I was little. And so 
waking me up in the middle of the night. I also have um, a blood pressure disorder that makes me really sick if that happens. And so he would wake me up in the middle of the night to climb down the ladder because our bed was in a loft to get his blanket that had fallen out of the bed. Honey, I'm cold. My blanket fell. Will you get my blanket for me? You're a grown-ass man, really? And I would do it because I was the good wife, like you do. So anyway, so I... Just a quick check-in. I just want you to know we got about 20 minutes. Uh, okay, I don't wanna, thank you. I don't want to miss anything important, but I just want to do a little check-in. So I moved out here to Seattle, and um, I started singing dancing out here, and somebody was like, hey, you need to take up blues dancing. And so I got into blues dancing, which is freaking amazing. I highly recommend. <laughs> and I was taxi dancing one night, which is you wear a, um, a scarf on your arm, a uh, black and white checkered scarf. And there was a bunch of us who were taxi dancers. And basically that means that if you ask me to dance, I will say yes, no matter what. I'm here to make sure that you get on the dance floor. And I knew how to lead too. So I was asking leads on follows and we were getting a bunch of people out on the dance floor. And here comes this new guy. And I'm like, hey, new guy, let's get on the dance floor. And so I pulled him out and won the lottery because he was such a good dancer. Oh my awesome. God. He was such a good dancer. So I asked him to dance again. Mm-hmm. And then I asked him to dance again. Again, I was like, oh, I'm really happy being single. It's my first time in my life where I'm not taking care of somebody. I, I'm not interested in. So it's called a dance crush. You get on the dance floor and the chemistry is perfect on the dance floor. And so what you do if you have a dance crush is you go, oh, my goodness. Oh, it's really warm in here. I think I'm going to step outside and cool off. And if they're interested, they'll follow you. Um, and usually you have like, a you know, a five minute conversation standing outside in the cool air. And you realize that this is just a dance crush, and then you can move on. Uh, it wasn't okay. just a dance crush. We were very interested in each other, and I was like, I'm happy being single. This is just a dance crush. I'm not dating anybody. This isn't a thing. And so he came to a couple other dances, and we ended up spending less time dancing and more time sitting outside talking. And um, we started having like some really big conversations, like, what do you do for work? What, um, what are, what's your baggage? Like what, what stuff are you bringing to a relationship that's challenging? And so for me, I obviously am coming out of uh, a new divorce, um, after having an affair, which is always a challenge. Um, and he had, uh, four kids also newly divorced. And I was like, four, four kids. Huh. That's, huh. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and um, it was uh, it was really interesting that we went out to dinner and we were having this conversation. And I had made it very clear this was not a date. We are not dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, so why, you know, why did you leave Chicago? And I've been really upfront about the fact that I had an affair because I feel like it happens a lot and people don't talk about it. And having those, these being upfront and honest about some of my failings has opened the door to some really interesting conversations with people, um, including women who have been considering having an affair or have come out of a situation where they had an affair. And I've been able to like have these cool conversations with them. So I'm, I'm, fairly upfront and honest about it. And here's this guy that I'm really interested in. And I didn't want to tell him. Like, I I, I just didn't want him to know. I didn't want him to think bad of me. Yeah, I understand. And so I was like, okay, I'm I'm not starting anything without being honest about who I am. So this is my baggage. 
And there was a pause and he looked at me and he goes, Chicago, what brought you to Chicago? Interesting. Didn't even phase him. Like literally just didn't even phase him. So I go home and I'm ta- I called my best friend and I'm like, okay, so there's this guy. And she goes, oh God. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, here, you know, he's, he's, um, he's a computer engineer and he rides a motorcycle, he plays four instruments and he's big green eyes. And she's like, uh-huh, that's a great story. And I'm like, yeah, he's got four kids. And she's like, oh, okay, good. So I don't have to worry about you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I, I don't mind. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't mind. And she's like, you need to get your ass over here right now. We need to talk. I'm not doing this with you again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I met his kids. And within six months of us dating, once I finally got around to admitting that we were dating, um, and I got to meet his kids, uh, his uh, 16-year-old was living with him. He had an 18-year-old who had moved out of the house. And then his daughters were um, 14 and, and 11. And so I met his kids and I was like, you realize that if we ever break up, the kids go with me. Like, <laughs> this isn't this isn't a thing. Like, I love your children, whether you're around or not. These are the coolest people I've ever met. And so we've been married for um, seven years now. And we have um, four grandbabies. Awesome. Yeah. So let me let me redirect a little bit and ask you, where is all this leading? Like, uh, what is it that you bring us today that can be consumed outside of our story, which is amazing and deep? And there's so much more to it, I know. But what do you bring our audience today that you'd like to share? So I would say um, there's a couple of things. First of all, healing isn't linear. Healing is very squiggly and it goes all over the place. And grief is the same way. Um, I always tell people like grief feels like you're standing on a beach and you're in the sand and the waves are lapping against your feet. And then sometimes they, they get deep and they're all the way up to your knees. And sometimes it's even deeper than that. And sometimes it's so deep you feel like you're drowning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a sneaker wave that just comes in out of nowhere and knocks you on your ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're always standing on that beach and you have to have all of those experiences and sit in those experiences to be able to heal. And every time um, like the sneaker wave comes and hits you, it gets a little bit easier to stay on your feet. It gets a little bit easier to stand up again. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've grown up with an abusive family, I can't recommend therapy highly enough. Um, I can't recommend um, connecting with safe people, with friendships that are safe people. Absolutely. Highly and enough. Le- and to learn what those are and to weed out the bad ones. Absolutely. And listen to your gut. Learn to trust your intuition. We are taught as we are um, going through uh, grooming as children, we are taught in, in bad situations and toxic, toxic relationships not to trust our gut, not to trust our intuition. And there's a whole level of learning how to how to listen to yourself and to go, this person's not a safe person. I don't feel good around this person. Right. This person makes me uncomfortable. And so, well, you know, maybe, you know, they just need love. Maybe if I, maybe I can change them. It just, yeah, forget about fixing people, people. For, Get about fixing people. It is yeah. not. It is not worth the effort. No. You have to heal for yourself, and you have to be willing to stand up for yourself. And those things don't happen all at once. So, therapy huge. Meds are also great. I highly recommend medication Me if it's something that fits for you. 
It makes yep. a huge difference. Um, and connect with people that are safe people. Um, like my best friend, June, she is my rock and I can reach out to her about anything uh, at any time. Like we say good morning to each other every morning and good night to each other before we go to bed. And she is my rock. Um, and she's walked with me through so many things and vice versa. I've done the same for her. Um, but she's very much my safe person. Um, cool. So like I can contact her and go, okay, I just had this memory because I didn't get my memory back until I was in high school and I still have flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And so I can call her up and be like, I just had this memory. I need you to drop everything and walk with me through this while I cry or while I laugh or while I mourn. Um, and writing is an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. So I wrote the book Girl Hidden um, specifically to sort out my history and I did interviews and I have um, I did interviews with people who were involved in the situation. I have stories from growing up on the farm. I have court documents and FBI files and notes from my mother that are all mm. in there um, to just try and set up like what really happened. And it, it helped to sort it out in my own mind and sort of clarify uh, the truth because growing up with a narcissistic parent, um, at, obviously, as you know, their stories don't match reality. Right. And so when you have that, that kind of situation where somebody is rewriting your history in real time, you have to unpack all of that. And writing is an incredibly powerful tool to do that. Yeah, that's actually, you're reminding me of something my psychologist told me to do. And I, I don't really want to do it, to be honest, the journaling part, I think, and all that stuff. But um, just a quick little share. Uh, I didn't know this, and uh, I always thought there was something kind of weird about my mom. And I'll never forget one day I was in my 30s, and my brother, my oldest brother, was coming. I was uh, having a night where my music was getting played by a DJ in a little club, and my brother was there. It was around Christmas time. And um, I'll never forget, we walked outside, and he was going off to go do something else. And he said, Oh, he said, You know, your mother makes things up in her mind and believes it, right? And I, I will never forget that moment where I was like completely blindsided by that. I had no clue. And not only that, it explained a lot of things because she doesn't take communication well, like especially if it opposes or challenges her in any way. And yes. there's, there's never a chance to ask why. That's actually what got me kicked out of my family is I kept asking them, why are you doing these things? And, you know... The more you ask questions, the, you know, you just can't do that with somebody who's a right. Cause their story will break talk. down. Mm -hmm. Their their story will break down. And all of a sudden they have to start being honest about things and they don't want to because yeah. it doesn't fit their narrative. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really sad. So, um, do you do any therapy or counseling for people or anything like that? Or are you mostly here promoting your book? I'm mostly here promoting my book. I don't do therapy, but I will say, um, so I have like, I have a TikTok, a girl hidden TikTok. I have a Facebook page and Instagram and I have a, an inordinate amount of people, like almost on the daily, I will get messages from people sharing their story. Like reading my book has opened up. Um, it, it's sort of become like a little bit of a survivor survivor's guide. Like you can do more than just survive. You can actually thrive. Absolutely. After and yeah. so I have people that have reached out to me and told me their stories. And I'm just, I'm always so honored 
that that they trust me in that way and to be able to hear other people's um, experiences and how they survived and what they're doing now to learn how to thrive is incredible. That's amazing. You know what? It's actually in a very different sort of way, but very similar. That's what this podcast does for me. And quite honestly, I really love hearing about other people's healing, but it's helping me to heal too. Right. Um, It's incredible. um, I can honestly see you, if, if you haven't thought of doing this, I could really see you having a podcast about narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic abuse. You know, you you could be a really interesting show that has people that talk just like we're talking about that specific subject and the way that they overcame those challenges. I could totally see you doing that. Oh my gosh, thank you. That is so kind. That would be a really smart way for you to take your story. And you're a really great speaker. I could have gone on vacation for this whole hour. You talk so well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, being, you a DJ, being a DJ definitely set me up for success as far as that goes. Damn right. Do you still do that or do you do it online or anything? I do not. I actually have a, uh, I went to school for uh, graphic design and I have my degree in graphic design and I actually opened my own little business about seven years ago and I work um, with real estate agents who bring me beautiful homes and then I get to design all sorts of cool things for their homes, which is really fun because my, my Pinterest is absolutely filled with like beautiful houses, bathrooms, gorgeous bedrooms wonderful decks and I'm always like drooling over them and now people just bring them to me now which is really cool that is cool right on yeah I got into graphic design and web development for a number of years also love it love it love it a lot of fun it's a great way to like have be creative like it 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 tickles the creativity bug in me it's really nice absolutely and you mentioned something earlier about motorcycles do you like to ride or just on the back just on the back, just on the okay. back. I am, I am very ADHD, and I will fall <laughs> off a motorcycle if I see a pretty pair of shoes. So <laughs> that's not a good idea. <laughs> don't, don't drive by shiny objects with Jesse. Exactly, on the back. Okay. exactly. Wow. So um, having um, my husband, my husband still rides, and we ride together from time to time, and it's just my favorite thing in the whole world. Like it's scary. It's always frightening to me because I, I think of everything horrible that could happen. Obviously, um, because of my trauma I think of the worst case scenario immediately um, but it's it's very freeing to do something that is a little bit dangerous yeah. but in a very safe and secure way and yeah. he's he's an incredibly safe driver so I yeah. and I trust him implicitly with that so that's that's a really cool like connective experience for us yeah that's bitching yeah that's why I ride too I have a motorcycle but no license I did it backwards I bought two oh, no. motorcycles and I, I need to get the license but I wasn't really sure if I was going to keep the big one or sell it. Mm-hmm. And I restored it. It's an older Goldwing 1100 and it's really beautiful. And nice. It, it's an 81, but it looks brand new. And it's just like, wow. oh, you know, it's like I fell in love with it. And so I kept it and brought it with me. I just moved actually recently. And boy, let me tell you, moving a big motorcycle in a big ass truck is not easy. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, yes. It took me an hour to work up the courage to ride the motorcycle up the ramp. Up the ramp, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy because the ramp was really high. It was a Penske truck and they have much higher things. And even though the airbag drops it down, it's still way up there. And 
Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was one of those moments where it was like, oh shit, I'm either going to get really hurt in a couple of minutes or yep. everything's going to be great and I'll have worried for nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really wasn't sure which, to be honest. Oh, that's so screwed. Um, so tell me two things, actually, and it's okay. We can go over a minute or two if we need to. Um, your mother, is she still alive? My mother is still alive. And do you keep in touch with her at all? Heavens no. I didn't think so. Why do you call her mom? Um, I, I just never got comfortable calling her Dolores. It just, there's something, um, I guess, I, I've never been asked that question. I guess for me, there's actually something empowering about continuing to call her mama. Really? Um, I do not call my stepfather papa. He is Robert. Um, so that one was easy for me to drop, but for mama, I think there's, there's always going to be a yearning to have a healthy relationship with your mother, uh, no matter who you are, no matter how bad the abuse is, there's always a yearning to have that relationship with your mom. And so I think for me, calling her mama, um, keeps me connected to the dream of who she could be. That's amazing. And it's really interesting too, because I see it exactly the opposite way for me. I couldn't call her mother anymore after the way that she treated me. Interesting. You know, and I see it that way. So, like, calling her mother is not an option. Her name is something else I'm not going to mention on the show. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, man. There's something about when people turn their back on family, that's, like, the lowest thing that a person can do. And it's so disturbing and disgusting. And I still don't know what kind of lies they've told everybody around them. But... I know right? they, can't, they can't be true because maybe somebody would have reached out to call me or say, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? Yeah. You know, but instead I was the bad guy and, yep. uh, you know, I wasn't actually, I was the only one with honest and true intention and purity and like a sense of truth and like wanting just the truth. I was only looking for the truth. That's it. And yep. couldn't even get that. So narcissists you know. can't handle it. That sucks, man. So what would you say to people that are listening just from your heart? Like what comes to mind that somebody would need to hear if they're suffering from a narcissistic abuse situation and maybe don't even know it, or maybe they do. What would you Mm. say to that person? That's a good question. Um, Get out, get out as soon as you can recognize that there's healing, recognize that you, you don't just have to be surviving that you can thrive, but you cannot thrive when you're under the thumb of a narcissist. They won't allow it. Right. And that's because they're selfish. That's the whole idea of being a narcissist, right? It's all about them. It's all about them. Like you go back and so my mom had a blog for a hot minute and you go and read her blog and she basically badmouths me every chance she gets on the blog and rewrites the story of my life. And, um, which is just, re-traumatizing all over again, so I don't read it anymore. Um, But being able to step away from a narcissist is like getting a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you're you're involved in a narcissistic relationship and you can get out, do it. And just to clarify, and we should both probably add our takes on this, uh, the definition of a narcissist is somebody who's completely consumed with themselves. And even though... They're very charming. They're very amusing. They're very funny. They're very jovial. Sometimes the secret agenda that they have 
is the problem and it yeah. ends up being about them. So anybody that challenges them or gets in the way of whatever they want to do, they are an obstacle and will be removed in some way, shape or form, even if that means lying, cheating, stealing, whatever to make it happen. Is that yep. sound right? reasonable? That sounds exactly right to me. Okay. Yeah. And if people are dealing with those kind of people, yeah, take it from us. Like life is too short, you know, and it could life all end tomorrow. Life is too short. Yep. Mm -hmm. It could all end tomorrow. So why would you want to spend today with a jerk? You know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. And so how can people find you, Jesse? So I always suggest people go to my website, girlhidden.com. Uh, you can purchase my book on Amazon and on Google as well as Goodreads. And um, you can ask for it in any bookstore, uh, but it is available um, through girlhidden.com. And I would love to have you read my book and uh, tell me what you think of it. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you so much. Wow. This was pretty deep. It went by a little too fast. Um, to be honest, I'd like to have you back again, um, just so that we could maybe dig into some other like we just drove down a highway and there were a bunch of off ramps we could have taken. Right? Like, I'm <laughs> yes. aware of that. So um, I'd like to do that again, actually, if you're willing sometime in the future, maybe a month or two down the road. I would love that. That sounds lovely. Yeah, that'd be great. And also to share more stories from your uh, readers, you know, and people that connect with that kind of information are looking for answers and it's good for them to know that there are answers out there. We just have to find them and, you know, maybe the first set of answers isn't the right one, but mm -hmm. you keep looking until you find it. And, you know, before you know it, you can make change. But it all starts with the decision, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, a choice to love yourself first, right? You have to believe you're worth it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a perfect place to end it. Jesse Gibbs, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. And I really hope that people will reach out and find your book, Girl Hidden. Look for it everywhere and leave your feedback and let her know what kind of impact that book had on you and share your story as well. And uh, who knows what she might do with that in the future. I really think you should take this uh, subject and do something with it. I really do. Thank you. You're very and welcome. thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Oh, totally. It was. And I appreciate it as well. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the evening and thanks for being on the show. Thank you back. Have a wonderful day. I will, and we'll be in touch again soon. Sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out toddcastshow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone.
I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.